Well, welcome to the Situation Report for January 3rd, 2024. It's Colonel Murray. That was the main theme from Patton. Sounded appropriate today. Start the new year off with uh, one of the best George C. Scott roles I think he ever played. He played a, a, a follow-on Patton role, but I don't think it was as good. And uh, that's one of my favorite movies. Not because uh, not because of the war aspect, but I read the called the patent letters and it, it it's it's a synopsis of his life that covers not just his military career but his personal life his rivalries the reasons why he had such a hard time as a general officer and why he he was so outspoken and most people don't realize that the internment plan for the japanese was written by george s Patton when he was in hawaii as well as the the decision to make the Sherman tank over the Pershing tank was made by Patton as well. And he thought rightfully so that, that numbers would win the battle and the ability to rapidly repair and and restore tanks from battle damage would, would be the key to victory. And he was actually right, but we suffered a lot of casualties because, because of it. So interesting guy. He was a brilliant tactician. He could visualize the battlefield and he was he's he's the tanker that uh every armor officer wants to be he's he's that guy um i know Crichton abrams is another one but Patton was the he was the the quintessential prima donna leader but uh today is an interesting day because Across the spectrum, we're seeing three very distinct narratives being formed right now. So Como News in Seattle today released a, a story about several state capitals being closed because of bomb threats, domestic terror narrative being built. Number two, they're, they're talking about how stable is Bitcoin? Can they do away with Bitcoin? And then number three, they're trying desperately to promote Nikki Haley as the front runner in the in the GOP race, which, I mean, let's face it, nobody's going to buy she's the front runner. I mean, she doesn't even, first of all, she's not a U.S. citizen. Second of all, she doesn't know U.S. history. And third and most importantly, she's not charismatic. She's the establishment's pick. And I read something, uh, I think it was either from Ben Shapiro or, or Jack Posobiec that She's the pick for both the Democrats and the Republicans. Now, if that's true, which I doubt it is, but if that's true, think about that for a second. They would rather have Nikki Haley than Gavin Newsom. I don't think there's a more evil person than Gavin Newsom. I, I really don't. That guy's cornered the market in evil and Let's just say nefarious things. That guy has cornered the market. He literally, he literally has has cornered the market there. And it's interesting to me that um, he. Um, by the way, my sound's doing weird stuff. Yeah, uh, that's weird. Anyway, if it, if it's in and out, it's because it's doing weird stuff. So I'm sure NSA is on my uh, NSA is on my machine. They probably have been since I uh, turned it on this morning. But uh, anyway, 
they're not going to sell Nikki Haley as the front runner, no matter what they do. I don't care how many, how many people they pay to show up at her rallies. I don't care how many, how many press releases they do. I don't even care how many different bots they have posting that she's the front runner. They're never going to sell the public that she's the front runner. I don't care what they try and do. I mean, what you're watching is the last dying gasp of a regime and an establishment that hasn't realized that the rest of the world is moving on without them. And I would also tell you that you're seeing, and this will sound a bit ethereal, but just bear with me. You're seeing the consciousness of the planet being raised right now through the sheer force of will. People are fatigued with the war, with the fraud, with the fact that a few very old, very, very psychotic people have been in charge of the planet, and more and more people are starting to realize that. All I have to do is flip through the comments on Twitter. By the way, to add a kick, I was, I was my guilty pleasure on Twitter, which I couldn't do before, which I can do now, is... I can hammer the shit out of guys like Adam Kissinger, um, Liz Cheney, and all the rest of the establishment shitbags that were on the January 6th commission that have continually lied to the American public, have profited from, from you know war profiteering, all those people. I can hammer the shit out of them on Twitter and not have to worry about being banned. Because trust me, in the first week, first two weeks, I should say, I pushed the boundaries to figure out where the guardrails were about how far I could go. And anytime you talk about hanging somebody or throwing somebody off a building, general threats, you're banned. But you can say everything up to that point, which is you can call people seditious, treasonous. You can call them rhinos. You can call them, you know, butt snorkelers, whatever you want to call them. And that's the that's the beauty of the platform right now. We talked about Twitter in the last in the last roundtable, which I'm not sure if uh, we'll have Bracken tonight or not. I haven't heard from him today. <clears throat> and I I have to admit I was busy all day sending doing other uh, security related work. And I wanted to answer a couple of questions before we dive into some of the topics today. I, I had a lot of questions about zero days and what a zero day is. So let me talk briefly about what a zero day exploit is. In the in the cyber defense world, the, the vulnerabilities that you don't know about that haven't been identified or go into the master vulnerability database, it's called a CVE, it gets a number, somebody, somebody catalogs it and talks and does the analysis to figure out how critical it is and determines the criticality, meaning if an exploit can get right to the operating system or the firmware, it's considered critical. If it takes two or three steps to get to an operating system, then it's considered a high and et cetera, et cetera. The zero day is the, is the vulnerability in the exploit that hasn't been identified by the rest of the world. And hackers sell those zero days on the, on the dark web for sometimes tremendous sums of money, depending on what the exploit is. And if you go back to, uh, there's an attack that was done probably by the Israelis years ago called Stuxnet. And essentially what they did was 
they went into they they gathered intel on the Iranian um, centrifuges that were doing the enrichment. And if you know anything about enriching uranium, it has to spin on basically it's like a plate on a stick. It has to spin to enrich the uranium. And the Israelis figured out that they were using a specific Phillips controller to manage all those centrifuges. And they would go in and turn up the speed or turn down the speed because it has to turn at a certain speed for a certain period of time. And if it gets off kilter, it destroys a centrifuge and, and it doesn't enrich uranium. So they were literally in there for over a year, turning up and down the speed and destroying centrifuges. And the Iranians couldn't figure it out for the longest time. It was probably one of the best attacks ever, but that's an example of a zero day. They were the only ones on the planet that knew that that specific controller had a vulnerability that allowed you to log into it remotely and give it commands and nobody would see the difference. In the old days, it used to be they would use the memory of a printer and they would come in through the memory of a printer because most most businesses, they just plug their networks and their, their printers into the network and they don't really pay attention to it. But you can transmit and receive small amounts of data across the printer for extended periods of time and nobody would ever think twice about it. So now printer printers are sequestered off um, in their own subnet so you can't really touch them and they can't exfiltrate data. So we've come a long ways, but the zero days are still a day-to-day -day thing. It's a daily occurrence to come up with a new zero day. It's either browser-based now, like Chrome has a bunch of, of exploits, um, a lot of the Linksys routers out there, because I talked about Spectra and Meltdown, which actually affected the chipset. So a lot of these zero-day exploits are probably still in the wild. And the reason why I bring it up is for the, the simple fact that there's this perception that we're going to get hit with this big EMP and it's going to take out all the electronics, et cetera, et cetera. That's not what the, if you listen to the rhetoric from the World Economic Forum for the past two to three years, all the way back to 2020, they were talking about a cyber storm, the perfect cyber storm, which means, and I said this on uh, Telegram, and I think I said it on, on Twitter, that most of these, these predictive programming narratives that you're seeing right now are all based on some form of a massive cyber attack. And in, in the, the cyber world, there's terms that we use to explain different types of attacks. So a denial of service attack is you're, you're flooding, you flood a specific site or a specific subnet with a bunch of traffic so that on the other end, the routers that are trying to route that traffic overload because there's so much traffic. And then a distributed denial of service or a DDoS attack a distributed denial of service attack is you go after like they did in, in uh, 2015, they literally took down British Telecom in its entirety. The whole the whole island was down. And what they did was they took out a controller that and, and hammered a controller with a distributed denial of service attack that handled all the traffic coming onshore from a from a the undersea cable and literally took down the whole net for almost 24 hours. That's a, distrib a distributed denial of service attack. Then we have a term called brush fires. A brush fire is where you have thousands of laptops and endpoints that are connected to a network. Think about Comcast cable. If you're on Comcast cable, you have a you have a, a cable modem in your house that's also a quote unquote firewall. We talk about that later. But 
you're supposed to have a firewall in your house that's hooked up to Comcast cable and everybody in your your area that's connected to Comcast, you're all on the same network. Whether you know it or not, you're all on the same network. And you're sharing bandwidth with just about everybody around you that's signed up for Comcast. And if they take down one key node in the Comcast infrastructure, everybody in that entire network is going to be affected by it. And if there's malware, which is a virus, could be malicious code, could be, um, it could be a variety of things, but assume it's just malware and your virus, your virus programs like McAfee, like, you know, there's CrowdStrike, there's Cyber Reason, there's a whole bunch of endpoint protections out there. Imagine if the bad guys knew how to go around all of that, push some kind of malware and infect everything in the Comcast network that's attached to their routers. That's a distributed denial of service attack, and it's also a brush fire all at the same time. And what I'm what I'm driving towards is this: the movie, the Leave the World Behind, is about a massive cyber attack that leads to a civil war. And they never, they always tell you what they're going to do first. It doesn't make sense for the elite to conduct an attack using an EMP because that fries everything in its line of sight. In theory, it fries everything in its line of sight. And it depends on the, the amount of energy that's released in the EMP pulse, the, 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 the footprint in which it's released. There's too many variables there that are unpredictable. And in, what, I'm, what I'm putting in front of you is it's very plausible that the elite have developed some tool that allows them to infect every endpoint on the planet and you wouldn't even know about it. And for years, we were worried about equipment that was made in China because the Chinese, if you know anything about the way the Chinese work, they, everything that they make phones home to China, everything. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be a controller, it could be a refrigerator, it could be a television, doesn't matter. It phones home. And they do it through the firmware. So the firmware is the base instructions on any device that tells it how to boot up, tells it how to run. And it makes a lot more sense that the elite would go after firmware because you can you could rapidly reset firmware and turn everybody back on. It would take years, if not decades, to recover if they had a, an EMP that was strong enough to infect, affect the entire country or all of North America. It would take decades. They don't want to lose control. They want the ability to turn off everything that's, that's generating communications, commerce, logistics, and any kind of uh, ability for people to move so that they can turn everything back on and instill the social scoring system, the new digital currency, and all the other control measures that they want. That, that makes a hell of a lot more sense to me than an EMP. Because an EMP, they lose control. You're talking about a bunch of people that are complete control freaks. It doesn't make sense for them to want to lose control and think they're going to survive it on the other side. There's no way. There's just no way. Because control freaks, by and large, when they feel like they're out of control, 
They're doing exactly what the regime's doing right now. They're trying to exert more control. They're trying to give themselves more authority to take away more of your rights legally. That's that's how they operate. They, they're not going to burn the system that they're trying to control and then hope that they have control later because they know they don't have the numbers. Now, would they nuke a city? Plausible. Potentiality is pretty high. But it's one city. And all that does is instill fear. And it, it creates a whole host of other problems to go along with that. A distributed denial of service attack that takes down the internet, that takes down comms, that takes down cars, that takes down railway systems. That makes a hell of a lot more sense because they still have control and the ability to clean it up. And if you if you look back to the whole CrowdStrike controversy, CrowdStrike were the ones that supposedly did the investigation for the hack, blah, blah, blah. And if if let's just say the intelligence agencies control CrowdStrike. It would be very easy for them to issue because one thing CrowdStrike does do is called remediation. It'll actually go out and fix something that's broken on the other end and sequester it and quarantine it so it, it can't infect anything else. And then if it can fix it, it'll fix it, and clean off the malware. That makes a lot more sense to do something like that, conduct the attack, and then use a, a company that you control to clean it up through remote remediation because then you're the war hero all at the same time. So Troop, I know I know you got thoughts on this. I, uh, I've i talked quite a bit about this, but I wanna answer, answer some of those questions I got before we got into this. Um, I know you got a lot of thoughts on this, so I'll just let you go. Well, the, the first thing is uh, who's attacking who, and I wanted to kind of do, not really my own rant, but kind of a rant. Um, a lot of what we're talking about and self-reliance is being prepared we don't really care whose shit hits what fan or why the only thing that we care about is that it's going to land on us so we care about what happens after the shit hits a fan the attacks on the united states and our industrial utility cyber business you name it um way of life that's a multi a multi faceted gem of hostile actors that are after us and China wanting to expand like cockroaches throughout the surface of the entire planet. They have a long game. I don't worry about China or Russia having nukes because nuking your enemy is bad for business. And whether China likes it or not, they rely on the United States for their income. Right. I mean, since we've been running huge trade deficits for decades, they're they're feeling pretty cocky. But how much of our U.S. debt do they hold, Steve? Like enough that remember when Obama, the only one cool thing he did in office was threaten to use the uh, the trillion dollar coin or whatever it was like, I'll just mint a couple of those and fuck you. We'll buy all of our bonds back for, you know, a fraction of a cent on the dollar. So they have rightfully for their own their own economic benefit participated in the BRICS system and they are doing the best they can to marginalize the United States, the U S dollars, a reserve currency, but all of Europe is on fire and all of the United States is going to be on fire in 2024. Who's going to buy all that shit? Everybody that's on telegram or Twitter or anywhere. I want you to look closely at these videos of countries that are not 
in the United States where people are sitting in their home. They could be in their kitchen, their living room, their dining room, their bedroom, wherever they are. I want you to look closely at what's going on in the background because what you won't see is a bunch of useless shit. You won't see Amazon boxes in the, in the background. You won't see a bunch of trinkets sitting around. You're going to see very conservative, very Spartan, very neatly orderly backgrounds because that's how people live in non-consumerist societies. So China is not going to do very well selling stuff from the shit ferry via Amazon and Walmart to anybody other than the United States and Canada, you know, a little bit of Australia and, and some of Europe, but for the most part, the U.S. Now, the other people that are coming into the country that will attack a utility grid or will poison a water supply or will, you know, release a dirty bomb with all of the lost nuclear material that the NNSA has, has, you know, failed to keep track of. And for those of you who don't know, the NNSA is the National Nuclear Security Agency. They're responsible for safeguarding our own nuclear material and waste stockpiles, as well as tracking and controlling, and sometimes flying pallets of $100 bills to foreign countries to buy um, unsecured nuclear waste and nuclear material from, from other people, including hostile actors. Well, there's so much of that stuff that's just kind of in the wind that, yeah, China's not going to nuke the United States. Uh, you know, I mean, if if we go to a nuclear war, then don't worry about your 15 gallons of water. <laughs> Get yourself a bottle of Jack Daniels or whatever you're drinking. Go out your front yard, aim your nose at whatever direction the biggest city or military base is and, you know, take a shot, have a smoke, kiss your wife and, you know, kiss your ass goodbye. But if you have people that are coming in, which we are experiencing here in Europe and France and, uh, you know, all these European countries that are low-level rapists and criminals, um, intermediate-level jihadists that don't necessarily have a lot, whole lot of training, but it doesn't take a whole lot of training to inflict a whole lot of damage in a small footprint. And then these organized groups of people that we're talking about that will self-organize and not necessarily go off the reservation, but kind of self-organize and self-direct what type of coordinated attacks that they want to do within the United States without any uh, handler or controller or funder. You keep going up that echelon of capability scale to people that are trained, disciplined, and have, the, have, a, have a high level of capability to utilize things in their common environment, especially in the United States. They're being funded through Bitcoin, through Visa cards, through whatever. It's easy to get money to people in the United States um, supporting these people. So when the time comes, they're going to operationalize and they're going to do the big heavy lifting terrorist things that you, you think of like 9-11 scale attacks or attacking power plants or just attacking the transmission lines that are in between the power plants and the cities. Um, so that's, that's where you really start to get into how are you going to harm a lot of people or how are you going to control a lot of people you're not you're not really worried about the hajis that are trying to huff satchel charges over the fence to blow up a substation anything at that level and down that's just kind of an annoyance you know for the united states i mean those people are bad but they're only going to kill if you know a few dozen a few hundred a few thousand people and that that is not a significant amount of people if you think about the amount of people that are attacking us and what the capability is of people who can do a lot of damage right so 
once you get to the point where you have, say, trained helicopter or aircraft pilots that can airdrop cables literally over power transmission lines and short circuit them at that level and up is what we have to worry about. So you have different facets of that. You have the people that want to harm the infrastructure in order to indirectly kill people. You have individuals that want to do mass attacks like at you know sporting events or 9-11 types of things to strike fear into people. The whole concept of asymmetric warfare and terrorism is you can't fight the army directly. You can't fight the government directly, but you can strike terror into the hearts of the people, and then the people can influence the government to do what you want the government to do. That's the whole purpose of terrorism. But then you have fundamentalist terrorists that just, they don't give a shit what the outcome is. They just want to kill Americans, or they just want to kill Christians, or they just want to kill Jews that are in America. You know, I mean, we have a pretty diverse society, right? So pick the person that you want to hate, and you can kill a million of them because all of them live here in America. So those are the, the different facets of that, that concern gem that I'm talking about is anybody who has the capability to attack things that are a transmission line and up that have a hate or a disdain for any group of people and don't care about any political outcome of their actions, meaning they're reckless terrorists. Those are the people I worry about. I don't worry about China. I don't worry about Russia. Because at some point after we get rid of this fucking shit bag that's in the White House, somebody else is going to come in and they're going to go, hey, look, it's a lot easier to get along and it's a lot more beneficial for everybody to get along. Um, let's rebuild the pipelines. Sorry, we blew them up. Let's uh, let's start drilling for oil. Let's start producing things. Let's start educating. Let's start trading. Let's move on as a society. And that's the group think of most of the common population on the planet is we're done with this bullshit. We don't hate Russians. We don't hate Ukrainians. We don't hate Chinese from the, the citizens that live in a country perspective. We just want to move forward. And everybody is seeing wherever they are in that, in that Delta curve of wealth diminish the, you know, people that make over hundred grand a year, they're seeing their wealth diminish people that make less than 50 grand a year. They're seeing their wealth diminish to, to the point of poverty, to the point of destitution. So if everybody in the world sees the same thing, and everybody in the world is looking at the same exact playbook being replicated generally through the Soros, WEF influence or whomever, doesn't matter who, uh, but all of these governments seem to have lost their shit at the same time and elections are coming up, right? And people are getting pissed and they've heard all the excuses. They waited patiently. They watched the stuff go to court. They've seen the absolute deterioration of that triad of you know legislative, executive, judicial uh, balance of power, completely compromised from the inside out. And it isn't just armed Americans. It is the whole entire fucking planet is pissed off. So um, China, the only way they can control their population is if they continue to feed them, right? So as opposed to looking at the damage that China can do to the United States, I think as a, a tactician and as a threat analyst, I'm, I'm wondering what type of damage can the United States and others do to China if you take away the food and you take away the happiness, then all of a sudden their social controls that they manage through their, their digital infrastructure are not going to matter anymore. People are going to get pissed and they're going to start breaking shit. Hey, and, hey Troop, let me yeah. ask, let's answer some of the questions from the chat because there's a bunch of questions in the chat. So first thing first, MJ, just to answer your question, everybody wants to get on with it. Everyone, literally everyone I talk about is like, let's just, let's get on with it. 
We know there's going to be some kind of a civil conflict. Let's just do it and get it over with. Yeah, I hear that every day, literally all day, every day. So you're not the only one that thinks that. Here's the problem with that. Once we kick this off, once it starts, for whatever reason, everything else stops. Logistics stops, water stops, all that stops. And if it's if it's the kind of gang warfare that's been going on in South and Central America between the cartels, then it means every time you walk outside, you have to carry a firearm and be awake and aware of all your surroundings from a drive-by, from an ambush, whatever the case may be. So I'm not in a big hurry to get this started. I would rather see the entire system collapse and them to lose control of not just D.C., but lose control of the entire country and the federal government completely collapse than see any kind of civil conflict where you're trying to figure out who the enemy is. And that's the problem with the situation right now. Most people, unless they speak a foreign language and they're in a uniform, you are not going to know who the enemy is. That's the problem with the current situation. You could be talking to somebody that's a staunch liberal right now, and they could be a brown shirt, and you would never even know it until other brown shirts showed up at your house. That's how bad the situation is right now. So I would rather let this run to collapse and then have local communities come together out of necessity, because then politics aren't important. The system doesn't matter anymore. It's all about survival at that point. It's all about people working together. And even these foreigners that have come in from other countries, once everybody's out of food, trust me when I say this, they're going to be trying to work together to figure out how to get and grow food and source food. That's going to be way more important than any of the other political garbage and nonsense that we're seeing in the system right now. So I'm not in a big hurry to jump into the shit because I know, and trust me, I know what it looks like. I'm not anxious to jump back into that. Because the other part of that that people don't understand is once you're in that environment, it's all adrenaline all the time. And there's there's going to be years of this. It's not going to be like six months, everything's fine, we're back to normal. This is going to be years of conflict, years of rebuilding, and years of sorting through all the lies, the propaganda, the BS, and the technology that these shitbags have created in the background that we don't even know about yet. For everything we know that's made the light of day, there's probably 10 technologies that haven't made the light of day. And every single one of those is mostly bad. And I read something yesterday that DARPA's working on pro programmatic AI and instructive AI. What could possibly go wrong with that? So every technology that we have to deal with right now, and especially drones, we want the entire system to collapse. So nobody, no one person or no one group is in control of that technology. And we want the system to die organically and drive it into the ground through peaceful means versus trying to drive some kind of kinetic action. Because they're already building the narrative of this domestic terrorist nonsense. And then today, in a Nevada courtroom, 
a judge was attacked by a by a defendant. Literally came over the judge's the judge's counter and and went after the judge. You're going to see more of that because, as Troop said, the entire country is tired of the criminality, the fraud, the bias. That system needs to die on its own. And you have a lot of people that are still trying to operate within the system that's already dead. So I'm not anxious to get on with this. I know it's one thing for me to say we're going to deal with the traitors, then the invaders. But it's a whole other thing to start looking at this from the bigger perspective, which is once we get through doing that, then we have to go find out what these people have been doing for ch doing to children, where they've been taking them, what they've been doing with them. Then we need to figure out who is still left that has a moral compass that isn't a fucking psychopath. All those things have to happen concurrently. I'm not anxious to do that right now. I'd like to have a couple of more weeks just to, you know, get my shit ready to go because I'm like 70% ready instead of 80% ready. But that said, bag like videos. <laughs> right. So that said, you you're going to get your chance. And I would say to you, spend the time in front of you doing as much as you can to increase your sphere of influence and your line of sight and building your capability versus hoping for things to go forward. Because, and, and I'll remind everybody. So there's a video circulating that say everybody that got the shot, even if they got one shot, is dead within three to five years. I want to remind everybody that my youngest has four shots. Four. So I'm just as concerned as everybody else about that narrative. But we have to go sort that out once we're done with all this and figure out if there's a way to prolong people's life, if that's true. I'm anxious to do that before I'm anxious to get back to kinetic. Because the only thing kinetic does, it's waste, death, and, and misery. I'm not anxious to get there. We'll have our chance to get there. And when it happens, it'll happen fast enough. Now, the second question, this is from Scooter's mom. Yeah, so the best endpoint protection on the market, believe it or not, is CrowdStrike. The two top right now is CrowdStrike and Cyber Reason. Those are the two top. There's there's other like Malwarebytes. There's there's McAfee. It just depends on what you want to spend money on. I, I have um, CrowdStrike on all my stuff. It, it works. And it the, reason, the only reason I paid the extra money for CrowdStrike is because it's very good at remediation and it's very good at, at, at stopping ransomware. And that those two pieces alone are why I use it, but it's expensive. It's like four or $500 for five, five licenses, I think. But that's the best on the market, bar none. All right, so I, I talked a lot. Troop, I know you, you've got thoughts on this too. And Dave, it's good to see you. Are, are you uh, driving Dave tonight? Are you domestic Dave? Which Dave are you? Hi, Dave. I am uh, <clears throat> dedicated Dave. I'm, nice. I'm, at, I'm at home. And uh, maybe I should say I'm dilapidated Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but uh, anyhow, good to be on. Troop, that was, uh, you got a lot of input there. I thought that was great. And, uh, you know, uh, just one or two quick comments on things, ground you just covered. One of the bright spots in this whole situation to me is that um, for all of the, all of the terrible things we've seen from terrorists, uh, terrorist organizations, their logistics, their support, financing, etc., the great thing is this was all set up. This was all built by 
Christians in action. The CIA building madrasas, funding all of that stuff, going back literally 40 years. They built that, they put it in place, and the good thing is, once we get on the other side of whatever is coming, and I, and I know we don't, nobody knows exactly what that's going to look like, but I, I do have faith that once we get on the other side of what's coming, we're not going to have to deal with some of the BS, some of the nonsense, some, but most of this stuff are dedicated constructs. They're not naturally occurring phenomenon. You always hear the argument with regard to terrorism that, oh, these people are, are disenfranchised. They don't have enough money, blah, blah, blah. That has never been the case. There have always been poor people. Uh, and yet history is not, uh, history shows you've got to go a long, 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 long way to make populations rise up in insurrection or take kinetic action. And so I'm just optimistic that when we get on the other side of these things, we may be dealing with, with a few things that are naturally, shall we use the term, organic, naturally occurring situations. But a lot of these constructs that have been fabricated over the last handful of decades driving us to this point, uh, I just pray to God that we eradicate the people responsible for those things, that we dig deep enough. Uh, you know, whether Trump's going to get in there or not, I don't know. I would, I've had friends tell me who know people that, that have sat down at Mar-a-Lago with him, that, uh, you know, they're hard at work looking at, at how they can best disassemble things and how they can, uh, you know, change the system that's been constructed. So I'm just like everyone else. I'm looking to get on the other side on a daily basis. It, it, you know, it's pretty bad when you're not the person going up to people explaining that 2024 is going to be a rough one when other people are coming up to you and explaining that every day now there's more people every day getting on board and it's it's hopefully it's happening accelerating hopefully it is every day i i so the the uh the amount of feedback i got just after the last round table was stunning stunning and it was i was I was shocked for a couple of reasons. One, every everybody knows something's coming. Everybody. But I'll say this again. If I if I backward plan from event 201, that's six months. That's somewhere between March and the end of June, which is right around the six-month point, depending on what you use as a start date. And I'm using the movie... Um, leave the world behind as the benchmark for that. But there was other event to our 501 or 502 or whatever it was that was done in September. So you can plan off of that. Regardless, it something's coming. Everybody knows it. Everybody's talking about it. I, I was at, I was at uh, Home Depot today. And literally the guys in front is wearing this. I have a, I have a Tuskegee shirt on today. And this guy is uh was struck up a conversation and literally within a few minutes, there's two or three contractors there and all races, literally everybody's like, yeah, something's coming. You guys feel it. And I, I, I hadn't said that much. And literally to the person there, they all think something's coming. And the funny, the funny part about 
the conversation now is not that people think something's coming. It's that they want to know what to do to get ready for whatever is coming. That to me is a better answer because it means that people are, are not worried about orange man's bat or any of the other political nonsense that they're trying to push down your throat because they're more worried about their families. And I've, I've said this at nauseum for months and months and months. You, you take out all the rhetoric and all the bullshit and I'm with you, uh, strong money. My, my, I, I'd rather wait to protect my family than to get back to kinetic. And I think most of the public thinks that too. So I think you're spot on Dave. Yeah. And we were saying that we don't care whose shit hits what fan. The only thing we care about is what to do after it hits the fan. So uh, people are over the, what are the origins of the shit that hit the fan? Like, what do we do now to clean up the mess? And I would say, um, somebody asked me before the show if if I have any predictions for the year. I, I have two predictions for the year. One of which is we will see um, a devaluation of the dollar to the point where the dollar is is essentially worthless and the fiat currency finally dies. I don't know when, what part of the year that's going to happen, but definitely. And if I had to guess timing for some kind of a cyber event or an EMP event or a major event, I would say somewhere in March to March to May, April 8th, there's a, there's a, uh, an eclipse on April 8th and that's just in their wheelhouse to do something on it, on everything with these people is symbology, everything. It's also going to be their undoing, but everything they do is symbology. So Steve, I have a question and a comment. My question is, I think most of us have seen the trailer civil war with wreath witherspoon. Uh, when is this supposed to come out? I think movie? it's, I think it's June, June, June July. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know it was that far off. I, to be honest with you, I don't care. I, I, I only made it through a few minutes of the, uh, the, uh, the Obama move a movie before I had to go throw up. Um, I, I could do after 10 minutes, I couldn't do any more of the, the American hating tropes. It was, it was God anyway. Uh, so I don't care when it comes out. It doesn't matter to me. The things that I'm focused on right now is I'm watching the narratives that they're trying to build around domestic terrorism, the, the um, animosity and the animus that's, that's towards the court systems right now and the legal system. I, I see that ramping up over the next few months. Some of that's happening organically too. I don't think that some of this is happening um, at the behest of the elite. I think some of this is just a byproduct of the animus across all of the, the, the culture right now. And the other interesting thing that I that I saw today is this: they're ramping up the attack on Christians now. And you know, get away from my last rant because I have my problem with with you know hardcore Christians that can't see the fucking light of day. I have my issue with them, but there is a, a an overt attack on Christianity right now across the planet, and it's starting to ramp up here. That's one of the narratives that I'm watching very closely because I want to see where this goes. If they take it down the satanic route or if they take it down the Christian hating route. Right now, it's the atheist route. So we'll see which way this goes from there. And that'll be very interesting to see if that gets traction in the market. The other one that I saw today, which I, I haven't paid really a lot of attention to, is cannibalism, which is another one that's out there and has been lurking. 
and they've tried to bring it back to the surface like this minor attracted um you know person slash pedophile conversation that hasn't gained traction but we're sitting there's i think they're trying to see the market right now to see which one of these narratives they can push forward because they're not getting any traction anywhere else and they need they need the next big divisive social strategy in order to um, precipitate some kind of a culture war and so thus far it hasn't happened it hasn't worked well we know that that these things we're talking about very complex operations and i, I know people often want to talk in terms of timelines we've all discussed this in some detail i think we're going to see a very dedicated, well-coordinated effort, as as Steve, as you pointed out, once you cross the line of departure, you know, the wires start start to un, unravel and uh, you get more factors than you can completely control. So the laws of unintended consequences do start to ramp up. But I also think that we're going to see a couple phases in this. I think we're going to have a slow phase early on with uh you know not kinetic things but whether it's some new type of pandemic uh whether it's banking issues financial issues and then i think they'll bring things to a head all at once later later in the summer because i don't think they're going to be able to keep keep the resources and the intensity up uh for the high intensity conflict situation i think that's uh, the plan, to, but I, to make I, it endure I, I think you're right. I think that's the plan, the slow burn to get it late summer so they can declare martial law and then bring a bunch of things in at once and, and quote unquote, not have an election. That's what that's every indicator is leading towards that analysis. And every indicator is really pointing that there's going to be some kind of a, you know, a late stage event that precipitates martial law. I mean, they're already talking about it, right? Like Hick, Nikki Haley was in the first few weeks of her stupidity before she got to the the, the uh, town hall where she didn't know the square to shit about the civil war um she was talking about every user online has to have a digital id they're going to do something to bring that in they need something to justify that and that that's why i'm leading heavily towards some kind of a cyber event but i think and you guys can disagree with me there's going to be some event that's being driven in the Middle East because they've tried everything they could do to widen that war and nobody's taken the bait yet. That's the desperation I see right now is they're desperate to start a wider war and they're desperate to reinvigorate the, um, the defense industrial complex. And I don't see that. Any, I don't see that getting traction. And the longer that this goes on, the more that there's an opportunity for things to dissolve organically at their feet. And the other interesting side of this, this coin is that the Ukraine thing is starting to speed up towards its, its natural ending point, which is the, the destruction of the Ukrainian government. That's, that's, that's ramping up. It's, it, as far as I'm concerned, it looks all intended indications are is that that's going to collapse within the next several weeks. True. I'm looking at the, the massive increase in street crime. Uh, Patriot Berserker posted, I think it was him, somebody posted an interview with some 
people in, I don't know where they were, England, they were talking about how they're just raping women. And the interviewer goes, well, why, why do you do that? And they're like, well, you know, the women are available. Well, don't you worry about the consequences of that? Well, yeah, sometimes we worry we might get a venereal disease. Well, no, I mean, what about the woman? What about, what about her? You rape these women. What about the woman? Oh, yeah, well, you know, I mean, they, you know, they might get pregnant, uh, you know, and then, uh, you know, somebody has to, you know, they, you know, they have to find a father. It's like, well, no, what about the emotional damage and, and the physical damage of raping women? And all three of these clowns, or three or four of them were just blank stare. They had no empathy, no clue where the direction of that questioning was. Well, all those people are here now in America, and there's going to be a massive increase in this type of violent street crime. And there is your hook right there, Steve, because David Axelrod never waste a crisis. You have 25 million people here. If even just 5 million of them are violent, I think that's on a very low end. And they're out raping, pillaging, stealing, beating, all this low-level street crime. Not the A-team. Low-level street crime, right? A few hundred million women get, you know, a, a few hundred thousand uh, women get assaulted or raped, right? Well, what do you think? The response to that's going to be under this regime an absolute federalization or militarization of the police force and then what they're going to follow through with that is you know well the maga republicans it's their their hateful things because when you're hearing about women and children in in your neighborhood being assaulted and raped you're gonna say some salty shit about who's doing it the immigrants right and so now you're now you're a, a hate a hate crime advocate, right? You're a MAGA Republican racist. Domestic terrorist, yeah. A domestic terrorist. So now what do we do? So we have a massive increase in violent crime out of control with the depreciated police departments. The David Axelrod approach to that is to use that as an avenue to federalize, militarize the police department, take control, just like the, the DOJ has done with these consent decrees, like in the Phoenix Police Department, Baltimore, other places. And then start taxing social media and trawling for these domestic extremists straight and, up shut them down corner them lock them out and then at that point go well you know what it's not safe to go outside we're just gonna not have public elections the other side of that the international side who can we declare war with all the whole you know crisis war powers thing that's one thing but there's really two sides of that it's like a turtle you have a really hard out you know outside shell just like security right you, you know penetrate through that shell and you have a nice squishy inside of the turtle make turtle soup so they're already they're working both ends of that they're disrupting the civilian populace and then they're trying to work on uh any kind of international motivator to to help them influence and control the elections or just just take them away but i think that the inside game is is really where they're having the most success right now i've seen a couple i'm sorry steve go ahead i i don't disagree with that you're right the inside game they're they're having some success but you're also seeing and i've seen this graphically more and more communities coming together and pushing back now and uh, i think we're going to see that this attack of, on this judge is significant because it shows that the social fabric is starting to fray and I, if you've We've talked about the cultural aspect of, of five, fifth generation warfare. The, the book leaves out the cultural aspects of 5G warfare, because what we're seeing right now is a highly effective influencing campaign in the cities. But in the rural areas, 
in the in the countryside and in the mainly conservative areas, you're not seeing that. You're seeing more and more people getting armed, more and more people buying ammo, more and more people not paying their taxes. And you're seeing this this push now away from the control systems. And it's only going to be a matter of time before somebody completely goes off the reservation and hunts down a judge, a lawyer, a prosecutor. Take your pick. It doesn't matter what it is. Someone will go off the reservation and that will kick things off in a big city. And they're going to try to use that narrative. But every time they've done that to this point, it's always been a minority or a foreigner that's conducted the attack off the reservation. And they've had to quickly sidestep and move their narrative somewhere else. So their influencing operations might seem like they're effective, but I think they're not effective. And I think most importantly, they're running scared right now because they can't capture the cultural narrative back. When they had Twitter and they had control of all of the censorship, because here's the other thing that's going to come to the Supreme Court that they're going to be forced to decide on. And that's this notion that private entities can censor people because they're a private entity. The question at hand is going to be, is this a de facto town square now that we don't have town squares where people congregate and discuss issues? Those are de facto discussed online. And if you go back to when Trump was, there was litigation against Trump for banning people on Twitter. The litigation said, that Twitter is a de facto town square. And because it's a de facto town square and you're a public figure, you cannot block people no matter how offensive their speech is towards you, unless it's a direct threat. So the precedent has already been set. And why that's important is the very simple fact that the town square has to be litigated at the Supreme Court so that all these other control mechanisms can be dismantled. And I think there's two parts to that. I mean, first of all, you're right. With Trump, people were shitposting to his page. He blocked him. They sued him. Yet the Biden administration turned right around and and they've just shut down comments, right? They're like, well, we won't want anybody to comment. Same thing YouTube did, right? So you can't even do a thumbs down now if you don't like a video. Two things to that happened this week. The first thing is the Green Day leftists decided to change the lyrics. They were on ABC, Dick Clark public supposed to be non-political good time and then these assholes are singing um you know instead of the redneck agenda it's the mag maga agenda some derogatory shit from the drug addict and the other thing that happened in the same week where these jewish rabbis went to a uh, some some uh, basketball game and they were holding up signs that were saying we're proud to be jews or something like that everybody else in the whole arena they have different signs and they were focusing this on some basketball player that made some anti-Jewish comments, I guess, the year prior. Well, he said, I, you know, get him out of here. So the security approached these rabbis and said, hey, you know, you got to put your signs away. Do you have a ticket? Basically suppress their free speech. And it falls in line with exactly what you're saying. So, we, you know, with just like employers can tap your phone uh, when you're at work or, or monitor your communications on your on your work laptop, and the employer is the one that decides what your free speech is. How the fuck that happened is beyond me, but it needs to be turned around. But here's the thing. On one side, you have Green Day on an ABC public television special being able to 
tout whatever whatever political line that they want. And then on the other side, you have these rabbis being denied free speech selectively and under the umbrella of, well, you know what, we own the arena or your your rights don't matter or your rights matter, but selectively because these other signs are okay, but yours aren't. So exactly what you're saying needs to go back to the Supreme Court and and it needs to get resolved. Your, your right to free speech should be absolute. And this whole straw horse argument about, well, you know, if you say fire in a crowded theater, well, if, you know, if you say fucking fire in a crowded theater, then there's consequences for putting people's lives in danger. That's a separate thing that is absolutely unrelated to your unmitigated right to free speech. Whatever you say, you own it. And then you go from there. But you can't just have somebody arbitrarily say, well, you know, I, I don't like your free speech. Or you can say whatever you want, but I control the, the medium or the method or the frequency or the audience in which you're allowed to participate in that right. But my, my point, though, Troop, is that at some point, I don't, may not be in the next few months, probably five to six months from now, we're already seeing the social fabric starting to fray because of that. And when they when they do either take Twitter offline or or start the censorship again, which is just a matter of time before they do, then I think you're going to see people going after some of these business owners, some of these these key leaders in YouTube and some of the others. There's no coincidence. A lot of these people are stepping down right now. They know it's coming. Yep. A lot of Congress people. You know, one of the things I think we need to keep our eyes open to are the indicators from overseas. I, I think we've made the point in the past that what what is coming up over the course of the next year is likely to be not just a national, but a global event. We talk about the fact that, that London has a Muslim mayor. You've got knife, uh, knife crime, stabbing, slashings going on all over the place. You don't talk to anybody who wants to go visit London or England anymore. That's, and, and you know, uh, vacationing and, and that kind of financial income is a big deal to Europeans because they don't have all the resources we do, quite frankly. And so uh, you look at France. France is a tinderbox. I was watching a, a thing the other night, and they were showing uh, groups forming in France, working on self-defense skills, fighting skills, things like that. Now, they have the disadvantage because they don't have firearms like we do. But uh, those people are, are finally beginning to get fed up. But I think those two countries are, are uh, characteristic of other things going on. You mentioned all the rapes and, and attacks on women. I just saw an article where the German authorities are working hard to keep a lid on the uh, keep a lid on how many women, how many white women in Germany have been raped, sexually assaulted, molested, and so on uh from from muslims and because those numbers are mounting steadily and so you know on on the international front when it when we talk about kinetic war uh, apparently i missed it but i did see someone talking about this where g has come out and said that uh, they plan on unifying with taiwan before the taiwanese elections well the taiwanese elections are in 2024 so that sounds like perfect timing to me, Steve, as far as what kind of event is going to ramp up drawing American troops, combat power overseas out of the continental United States. So I, I think we'll start to see a lot more of these things starting to take shape, starting to 
uh, orient in the direction that uh, demonstrates coordinated lines of effort that uh, are, are maneuvering pieces and uh, resources into position for the kind of events that we're expecting. Uh, I wish I could say that wasn't the case, but uh, unfortunately, I think it is. Yeah, and we're going to start shooting people in the street, and that's going to be exactly what the left wants, because you're right, people are organizing, they're getting their picks and shovels together. I've seen the same thing, and it follows a pattern. People get mad, they organize, and then they push back. So they're... Well, the best part about that storyline, Troop, is that liberals are going to be affected by that too, right? When you drop a tack nuke in your backyard, you're affected by the fallout too. And that's the part that those dipshits don't realize is that they're going to be affected by this just as much as anybody else. No, there, yeah. And there'll be a lot of innocent people that are killed too. Remember after uh, 9-11, there was three distinct incidents where somebody went, well, fuck these Muslim terrorists. And then they shot a Sikh. Uh, they shot a guy that owns a gas station. And then they, they, you know, they shot another uh, Muslim looking man that was walking down the street or whatever. And so we can't paint a whole entire, you know, that, that right there is going to build your whole MAGA uh, extremist profile, you know, for the FBI, right? In spite of the, the 87 million other, uh, you know, black on white crimes that have happened since then. But the point is, tensions are going to run high. People are going to arm up. They're, they are going to start protecting and they're going to, they're going to be making bad calls. There's going to be just some, some Muslim looking dude on his way to work and he's going to get taken out by some undisciplined vigilante, right? And now you have a murder of an American on another American or American on another, you know, another national in America who shouldn't have to live in fear. But this is always a consequence of this type of tension. You have all of these people from literally all over the world. It isn't just, oh, these are, you know, bad Mexicans or bad Muslims or whatever. You, you don't know who is here because there's 25 million people from 200 different countries that have just flooded across the border and the violence is going to step up and people are going to push back. And unless you're, unless you're shooting somebody who's in the active, um, you know, role of committing a crime, you're going to have vigilante murders. And that is going to give the left everything that they need to do to, to put in every draconian control that they have planned. And, and whether it's going to be successful or not, at that point, that's when it escalates from unrest to revolution. So yeah. that, that timeline is going to be pretty quick. I, and it's, we're going to see it this year. It's going to be this year. It won't be next year. It's this year. Interesting piece of American history. Most people don't realize that when the Boston Massacre occurred in the 1770s, the lithograph, that, that famous etching that, that uh, Paul Revere had done, was actually fabricated well before the event took place. And that's an excellent demonstration of events being pushed, events being shaped. You know, when you look back on history at what was going on in those days, you had people being dragged, especially uh, government officials, literally being dragged out by their heels, tarred and feathered. That's coming. Only and, it'll, be, it'll be bullet sandwiches. And I, I think, I agree with you, Steve, but I was going to say, one of the things we that we haven't rightly considered is uh, the biology of the situation. When you take a look at the amount of testosterone in the typical American Caucasian male, it has been steadily declining for the last 50 years. 
And so, you know, my wife has made the comment, when are you people going to get off dead center? When are people going to get fired up? We're way past due. And I, <laughs> I don't know what her testosterone level is, but uh, it does make me, it does make me think, gee, I wonder if, if we would have been tarring and feathering people, if this, uh, this, this uh, program of lowering male testosterone hadn't been, you know, uh, force foisted upon us, uh, the way that it has. But I think ultimately we are going to get there and that's the point. It's, it's taking longer than it should have, but I think we are going to get there. And I do think when it happens, um, I think the left is going to want to play the propaganda card troop, just like you're talking about, but I don't think it's going to matter because like a thunderclap, I think when when things go kinetic and it ramps up very quickly, people aren't going to be paying a whole lot of attention to that. It's it, they're going to start just like Steve says, you know, looking at their sphere of influence and what's right around them. And uh I just I I think things will happen faster than people expect. Just just my gut gut feeling on that. Hey, I wanted to chime in real quick, Steve. You have a comment and rumble from TX, I'm assuming Texas Bruiser, it says, Troop, do you have a resource for self-defense of some kind of training for women that are not in your area? I'd like to I'd like to respond to that kind of generally. And if I may, this goes for men and women. So I carry a really super bright flashlight and mace. I also carry a knife, but my primary defense tools are a super bright flashlight and a can of saber police grade mace that's going to de-escalate a hostility pretty quickly what i don't want people to do is go and panic and run out and buy a gun and then think that some big heavy frame 357 magnum or glock or whatever they buy that's in the bottom of their purse below their makeup and their car keys is going to protect them when they're walking through a parking lot if you're in danger you can't just pull a handgun out and then have it, you know, brandish it on, on the way from the store to your car or whatever. And there's a greater probability that you're going to have that firearm either not being effectively able to be, you know, brought to bear when you need it as quick as you're going to need it, or it's going to be taken away from you and either used on you or used on someone else after it's taken from you. So the, the advice I have is you don't have to dig very deep on the internet to find self-defense courses and these types of things. Uh, I'm not going to recommend anybody. I'm going to recommend this situational awareness, knowing your surroundings, trying to read into a situation going, wow, you know, there's like nine sketchy looking guys over there and they're all eyeballing me. Maybe I should walk back in the store. Maybe I should get an escort to my car. Maybe I should go in the other direction. Maybe I should not, you know, I should remove myself from the conflict space, physical confrontation and evasion. This is things like, uh, when I travel, for example, I carry a number two pencils and number two pencils can go in the eye, in the ear hole, in the throat, wherever they need to go. It's a sharp object. It's immediately accessible. If somebody's trying to kick the door in on the, you know, and, and steal the airplane, right, I'm, I'm going to be involved and I'm going to not be involved in a way where I'm going to try to deescalate that situation. I'm going to be involved in a way where I'm going to end the situation. And so you don't want to be thinking that if you go to a self-defense two-hour, $299 course or whatever, that you're going to be able to go kick anybody's ass on the street. You need to avoid confrontation, but you need to engage it decisively if you find yourself in confrontation. Because these people aren't one-on-one. -on -one. 
if you watch all the self-defense things that there are, it's one, you know, mano a mano, or it's a big attacker and one woman. It isn't nine people coming up on you and swarming you like a pack of, of wolves, which is what you have to deal with. So uh, you have to kind of plan for a one-on-one -on -one confrontation and then grow from there because most one-on-one -on -one confrontations are only um, uh, crimes of opportunity where that aggressor doesn't think anybody's looking or, you know, you're unsafe and, and they can attack you before they're caught. That's why they generally run in groups. They do it with impunity, but a flashlight and mace start with that uh, as a female or as a victim of a crime or a potential victim because somebody's approaching you. De-escalation is not an obligation for you. And what I mean by that is we're required to say, hey, you know, let's let's talk about this or you want my wallet, that's fine or whatever you're whatever verbal judo that you need to try to avoid escalating a confrontation into violence. You don't have that obligation as a victim. You fuck shit up and then you run. So my advice is go look for self-defense courses and classes and stuff that focus on situational awareness and knowing your environment, how not to be a victim, invest in a super bright flashlight. This is the only time I say waste more than, you know, 80 bucks on a flashlight but something that will absolutely temporarily blind someone and then spray their face full of mace and then run. Don't try to kick them in the nuts or the inside of the leg or whatever. Go to, go to courses for that if you want to do that. But if you blind somebody and then mace them, you take away their ability to harm you and then you run like hell. And that that's my advice on that. Start there. Don't start with a firearm. Uh, graduate up to, and then do I want to carry a knife? Do I know how to use a knife? Do I want to carry a gun? Do I know how to use a gun? But you have to have that force continuum or what police call it, it you know, an escalation of force, you know, from from hello to lethal force. So just just start with that situational awareness, super bright flashlight in the eyes, mace ear to ear, side to side and uh, and then run and get help. So and yet you'd be surprised how effective just having good situational awareness is to keep you out of the conflict zone and, and you know, keep you aware of your surroundings and. The other piece the troop doesn't talk about is trust your gut. Your gut's going to tell you if you're paying attention, if something doesn't look right. And if you listen to it, it'll save your life. So there's a lot of pieces to this that don't involve a firearm. And the other thing is I carry a fire, firearm everywhere I go. And I can tell you that there's times where I wouldn't, I wouldn't pull up a firearm just because of the fact that what's downrange would be more detrimental than what's in front of me. Yeah, that's my and, worst nightmare. Yeah, it's it's not it's not the person in front of me that I put down. It's the other people behind it, because you know most of us you're carrying a forty-five and you got AP rounds, sorry, armor piercing rounds. Trust me, that's going to go through whatever you're shooting at, and then some. So there's disadvantages to having a firearm in the first place. In a situation where they have a firearm and you're in a gunfight, okay, it's a gunfight. But how many people out there have actually had bullets snap over their head? And trust me, it makes a snapping sound. It's very disconcerting. If you haven't been in that environment, you're not going to pull your weapon out and aim and shoot straight. It's all adrenaline. So do, do yourself a favor and focus on situational awareness. That's the first and only thing that's going to really save your life. And then to answer your question, I think it's Tomahawk. I talked to Top Pop um, for about a week. His mom's sick. When when that situation resolves, he's going to come on the, and do the uh, the roundtable. So I, I we traded emails for almost a week. Um, good guy, 
he responded right to me. Very, very good guy. And uh, I think we'll have him on the next few weeks. Steve, I want to jump in on that uh, subject for just a second. Way back in the 90s, uh, early 90s, I took my first defensive course uh, outside of the military, and that was with Masad Ayoub, who's well-known in gunwriter circles because he's been a police officer, but most especially an expert witness in some of the largest high-profile officer-involved shooting cases. And uh, he has... He has, uh, or at least he had, I think it's still up and running, something called Lethal Force Institute. And it is a comprehensive defensive training program. Just like you're talking about troop, it teaches you about the ethics of things. It teaches you about the legalities of things, which is a huge, huge subject. But it also teaches you about the uh, not only situational awareness, but the, uh, the continuum or the spectrum of escalation that you were referring to. And those are all good things. And I think a flashlight uh, can be okay. Uh, I think I think mace is a little concerning because uh, it has a propensity, propensity to, to light on fire. So I have to worry about that. <laughs> that's, I, I'm not worried, but I know pepper spray in a lot of these tests, you know, bear grade pepper spray is is typically effective although we can't be naive there are people there are people in gangs who literally train on that kind of stuff i can recall even in in basic training going through uh nbc training where you've you've got your pro mask on and they have you take the stuff off and you know you're getting tear gas and i look over and there's a drill sergeant sitting there he's been sitting there the whole time with no no gas mask on or any no pro protective clothing whatsoever I mean, he's smiling it's rare but it can happen. My, but I, I don't. I, I don't think. If I could just finish. I do think firearms training these days is a necessity, especially for women, and there are accoutrements you can equip yourself with: jackets that have linings for shooting through, um, purses where you don't have to reveal the firearm, but you can have the thing over your shoulder and your your gun hand in the flap where the firearm is located underneath. Um, it's, there's, there's a lot of bad stuff out there. And uh, I think pepper spray and flashlights and things like that are good if you can get away with it. But an awful lot of the women that I know, especially as you get up in age, they're not in great shape. They're not going to run away very effectively. Um, you know, a handgun is a nuclear weapon. But, you know, it's a measure of last resort. But it's also better than dying. And so, you know, Lethal Force Institute uh, is, is one of the most ethical, responsible types of, of training academies that you're going to find in this country. Um, it's, I, I would highly recommend it to anybody. Masada Ub runs it. The, I wanted to clarify a couple of things that came in chat talking about using bear and hornet spray. Don't, because it's illegal. And number one, Bear spray is actually weaker than police pepper spray because bears have okay. an incredible sense of smell. But it's illegal to use non-human spray on humans. And the second thing is if you use something like hornet spray or raid, first of all, that doesn't carry well, right? I mean, these these form factors of the of the mace are designed for carrying. And if you spray somebody with a neurotoxin, a pesticide, you're you could be charged with attempted murder. 
and you can permanently blind them. So, so anybody saying get bear spray or hornet spray or roach spray, don't fucking do it because you're going to go to prison. Um, and the second thing is a brand that I recommend is Saber Red, S-A-B-R-E, Red, R-E-D, and it's actually gel. Um, spray, you know, if you have to spray an attacker and the wind's coming at your face, then you're going to get mace too. Like Dave was talking about the, you know, the drill sergeants, he's, um, you know, I eat a lot of tobacco, Tabasco sauce. I was able to go through the mace portion of, uh, you know, belt training pretty easy, but most people don't respond well to that. So Saber Red is the spray. It's designed for people. It's gel. So you can use it in a windy environment. Um, don't use Hornet or, uh, roach or bear spray just don't um and i i just had to put that out there because i see that in the chat we don't we don't want people going to prison for uh you know trying to defend themselves so i i to to uh uh for lust i i, I would have signed that document had i known about it um i think ben miller was the one that uh that generated the letter and and there's a, a bunch of um email chains that he's on, which is why Chambers and a few other guys, I reached out to Pete and said, hey, man, why don't you let me know? And he's like, wasn't my deal. And it went through a bunch of bailiwicks before it finally got signed. So it wasn't as easy of a process um, to uh, to get involved in that. So, but uh, yeah, I would have signed it. Had they asked me, I would have signed it. But, um, you know, it's, it's a that's a good sign that there's other officers and there's other military that are starting to work together now. And this is, might be a loose coalition right now, but give it a few months and this will be a, a tighter group of people. You know, I, I re, I'm routinely asked, why don't I organize at the national level? I'll tell you why. Because the moment you make some kind of a national movement, the moment you make some kind of a national declaration every shill fbi informant every cia informant every cia you know working dog they all show up and start to disrupt your party and the other side of the fence is when this kicks off this shit's going to be tribal it's not going to be at the national level the national level stuff is is only good if the people at the national level aren't co-opted and how many of these different um, initiatives. And let's go back to Lynn Wood and Sidney Powell and that whole group of people, then Derek Johnson and that whole group of people. How these guys supposedly have reach. Why didn't they start to do something at the national level? I'll tell you why, because the whole point is to, to disrupt any kind of national unity. That's what the press has been doing for for seven years. That's what the FBI is doing right now. They're going after law-abiding citizens to break up any opportunity for a national movement. This is the first step, this letter of accountability, this is the first step in saying that we're going to hold military leaders accountable under the Uniform Code of Military Justice. And we are still, I'm still a commissioned officer. Dave is still a commissioned officer. I, my, my oath never expires. My commission never expires it's good to see other officers that have realized that and it's even better to see a group of people that will sign a document and say this is it this is the line in the sand 
I've been asking that question for two years. What's your line in the sand for this specific purpose? What's the line in the sand where we band together and we start to take back our country? Hopefully, this is a first step. We'll see what happens out of this. Sorry, I wanted to answer that. Or I've stunned you guys into silence. One of the two. David, I, David, I, I'm sorry to cut you off earlier, Dave. I was excited about um, the use of pepper spray versus bear spray on bad guys. So. No, it's it's quite all right. By the way, you um, you stepped on a little bit of a buzzer for me for a second there. You made the comment that you're more likely to have a weapon taken away from you if you're confronted. If you're that, untrained, yeah. Okay, that's actually not true at all. That that whole concept was published far and wide back in the late 80s based on a paper written by a doctor in the New England Journal of Medicine. And Steve, you're going to find this interesting. That study was done on Kings County, Seattle, back in the 80s when it was the it was a major stopover point for drug smugglers coming into the country out of Canada down into California. It still is. And uh, no, I, I, I know uh, I used to go to Seattle quite a bit, but my point is um, that study was premised upon the idea that, um, well, they used the term friends and family. Uh, one of the assumptions in that study, believe it or not, was that everyone in the county is a friend or family member. Just think about that. Everyone in the county is a friend or family member. That is the most ridiculous, outrageous kind of assumption you could make. In fact, I can tell you that study in the New England Journal of Medicine to this day is used in ethics courses within, I, I know this is a, an anachronism, ethics courses in journalism programs. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It's an oxymoron, but it is true. You know... Troop posted something this morning in the admin channel that I have to share with everyone because I spit my coffee all over my computer when I read it. It was one of the funniest things I've read in a long time. And Troop, if you'll bear with me, I, I will read it for everyone because you literally cannot make things, these things up. Actually, I think you posted in the main channel, didn't you? Uh, I'm not. I did a lot of shit posting this morning. I'm just an empty bottle of whiskey adrift in the seeds, Steve. I uh, it made me laugh so hard I spit my coffee out. It was it was priceless because it's it's literally one of those moments where you read it and you're like, okay, that's fantastic. Uh, now I can't find it. I, maybe you posted it to your channel, but essentially it was helicopter therapy for liberals. And oh, yeah. <laughs> helicopter it's helicopter therapy for liberals basically take them up in a helicopter and they they're discharged from the helicopter and that's their therapy i i love yeah. call, i call it low altitude therapy i thought we well, could make, like a, a so, game of lawn darts out of it so we <laughs> get these fucking neo-communists up at six thousand feet put about now you could stack like at least three of them in a in a basic helicopter right and then just chuck them out and see how close you get to the bullseye. You know, you get extra points for crosswind. You could have a bunch of skeet shooters down there to blast them on the way down. You know, I don't know what where uh, at, at what point do you reach terminal velocity 
uh, you know, at like 2000 above sea level. So whatever, whatever that, whatever that altitude is like add another thousand feet to it. So they have a good, so, uh, you know, descent time, good hang time. And then wh whoever gets the most commies on the bullseye, they, you know, they win. I, I made me spit my copy out this morning. That's in the same genre as this, Dave. That's exactly in the same genre as this. I, I'm guessing you guys have watched the uh, first episode of, of Reacher, second season. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. they... Uh, Love that show. Yeah. There was a movie with Scott Glenn where they, they in Vietnam. I can't remember the movie, but they took uh, North Vietnamese captives up and would question them and, you know, throw guys out. But uh, I just can't remember the name of the movie in particular. It was probably 25, 30 years ago. It wasn't yeah. Deer Hunter. It wasn't Deer Hunter. No, 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 no. I know which one you're talking about, though. Yeah. So one of the other things. So I'm gonna I want to finish my thought on uh, for for lost deer. The the other side of the coin with this accountability letter is, and Scott Kesterson's right. You have to fix the military. But the military's only going to be fixed if guys like um, Austin and this new chief of staff or uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs, I can't think of that racist prick's name. Those guys have to be publicly tried and executed for treason. Because what they are doing is covered in Article 105, I believe it's Article 104 of the UCMJ, which is aiding the enemy. And the part of why the signatories on this are, are signing this letter of accountability is for the sole reason that the vaccine has killed or permanently injured thousands of service members. And the military VAERS has been obfuscated and corrupted to obfuscate the true number of Americans that have been affected by this. That is treason because Austin sat on the board and, and received money from one of the pharmaceuticals, if I'm not mistaken. That in and of itself, not just a conflict of interest, that is treason. And that, the only way we're going to fix the military is to, those two guys need to be held accountable along with Millie and then you go down the line and all these woke, retarded generals that have been put in place all need to be removed. We need to consolidate the number of generals in the Pentagon to under 10. And then we need to restore good order and discipline across the military. And I do mean good order and discipline, not this woke, trans, horse shit. All of them need to go. All of them. If you spend more time in uniform, like this Space Force Lieutenant Colonel that prattled on for 20 minutes about the next war is going to be the war of the minds and you want the best mind. It doesn't matter what sexuality you are. There's a reason why you have standards in the military. There's a reason why you have good order and discipline, because their job is to close with and destroy the enemy. It's not to go out and make a political statement and be special. Conformity is the reason why there's good order and discipline. And you do that so that you can fight a war en masse. Not this nonsense and political bullshit. So if you want to restore the military, execute a couple of fucking general officers on national TV, and then you send somebody like me that'll go in there and bust heads 
and unfuck the DOD. And then the other people that you need to try and hang are those bastards that are in the defense industrial complex that are generating more wars before this country's ready. We haven't even recovered from Iraq or Afghanistan, and we're, to, we're already on to the next war. You want to fix the Pentagon? That's what needs to happen. Nobody has the balls to do it. That's the problem. Steve, one of the things we have to do, I, I just uh, I went through General Thomas McInerney's book, which just came out a little bit ago. I consider him a patriot. He's, he's getting up there, but uh, he and Vallely came out with, uh, with a book. And the whole first chapter was discussing the fact that it's exceedingly, exceedingly difficult to prosecute people for treason. We, we literally need to go back and change the laws and make it a, a much more realistic, much more doable uh, kind of action because it's, they, they, they made it excessively difficult, way too difficult. I, I think, unfortunately, in a lot of these cases, it, you talked about people going out and hunting down judges and things like that. I think some of that's going to have to fall into those categories. Yeah. And I, I agree with you, Steve, on the uh, hanging for our military leaders. I wrote a letter to SecDef two years ago. I posted it, a copy of it. Of course, he didn't respond. Uh, but yeah, totally called him out. You're, you're a, a, you sit on the board and you hold shares. I don't remember what the medical company is. We're talking about, um, yeah, what's his face? SecDef, uh, Austin and uh lloyd austin and he's i mean he those guys deserve to be again we have to go in order we can't just say hang them steve we can say arrested charged tried adjudicated and punished and then thrown out of a fucking helicopter for the military for those who were who took an oath to support and defend the constitution they deserve fucking death now the other half is all of these other people who are non-military, the academics, they actually don't fear death. That would be doing them a favor. If they get arrested and tried and, and uh, punished, they would they would choose the death option. They don't fear death. They don't believe in God. The only thing they fear is loss of power and influence that they measure by you know, how much wealth they have or how they can operate in free society and impunity. So the same rules apply, arrest them, charge them, try them, and, you know, if they're found guilty, punish them, but punish them with a one-room cell, bread and water, total uh, disconnection from the outside world, no contact, and they can, and then give them excellent medical care, as I always say. I want them to live in that condition as long as possible, but that's the distinction, though. Our military leaders that have fucked us, they deserve death. Uh, our, our politicians and academics and judges and all these other people, they deserve to be completely stripped of all their wealth, all their power, and everything, and then sent to the county farm. That's that's the only thing that they're afraid of. The only thing. They're not afraid of death. Don't give them what they want. That's what needs to happen to the fucking Clintons and the Bushes and the Careys and the Pelosi's. That Their entire family. This is because look, here's the other side of this coin. So... What fires me up about this is the fact that nobody, the problem is you write a letter and nobody has the, 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 the stones to follow it through, right? Which is, and the other part of it that makes me mad is 
General Flynn is the only general officer that signed that. I didn't see all the signatories, so bear with me. But if there's only one general officer that signed that, where are the rest of the general officers? I mean, Paul Vallely and uh, and Tom McInerney, those guys are in their 80s and they're still firing rounds downrange. But those were the only two guys that came out after 2020 and said anything. And then, don't quote me the law of war manual. That's, that's how we're supposed to conduct war. That's not how the enemy conducts war. I've seen enough of that garbage too. I, we've all, every one of us have read the law of war manual. Every one of us. It's, that's Lieutenant 101. Here, go read this. Learn it, know it, live it. We all know what it says, but that's, that's our conduct of war. This, we're, we're talking about all enemies, foreign and domestic, in this country, not somewhere else. These people have committed treason. And to answer your question, Drew, if we go look at the correspondence, both private and public, for Austin and Millie and the rest, I guarantee you there's probably enough just in their outlook to put them away for years. And you're right, the major crime families, they all need to rot and get moaned toss each other's salad for the rest of their lives and eat beans and rice. That that definitively needs to happen. But some of these general officers, they need to be hung for treason because what's been done to the military, 348 pilots died within the first six months of the vaccines being pushed. That is unbelievably not only a statistical anomaly, no, that is unbelievably overt that they would do that knowingly and then obfuscate the military barrier system. That that shit, and Teresa Long has done a fantastic job of highlighting the VAR, the military VARES and just the obfuscation. But I don't, Dave, I don't care that they've watered down the treason laws. I don't, I don't care. The old system is dead. And when this kicks off and we get to the point where we're holding these people accountable, I guarantee you there will be enough data to be able to throw these people under a bus and not have to shed a tear over it. Because the data never goes away. It's there. It's either an exchange server, it's sitting on an NSA collection server, or it's it's sitting at the CIA at one of their collection servers. We have enough assets collecting on all these people that if they used a cell phone, email, or they even texted something, even if it was secure comms, we got it. And I guarantee you there's something in there that will not only convict these people for the rest of their lives, but it will throw them under the bus as far as treason goes. But you're right. After Vietnam, they watered down the treason laws. Well, unfortunately, it it uh, I think there's going to be a lot of direct action requirements because it will take 45 to 50 years to go through due process with all of the people who deserve just punishment. That's, that's just, that's just tactical reality. Um, by the way, somebody had made a comment, uh, the movie I was referring to, it, it was not platoon. It was, uh, although, um, who was the lead, who was the lead actor in platoon aside from Charlie Sheen? Todd Berenger. Well, he was. Who was the third lead? Uh, Elias. 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 Yeah. Uh, what's Sergeant name? Elias, my favorite dude. Yeah. Well, who was the actor? God, what is his name? I'm blanking on him. He was in the movie 
where they they went uh, up in helicopter with uh, and Scott Glenn, I believe, was the colonel battalion commander that uh, took them up, and then he ended up jumping out. Scott Glenn did. William Defoe, thank you. William Defoe, there you go. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, but I still can't remember the name of the damn movie. It's gonna bug me all night. That's how you remember this as we hang out. But you know, as as far as as far as I'm concerned, I I I need to be clear that I'm glad that we're seeing um, military starting to band together. It's a good thing. I'm glad that people are willing to sign their name to a document. That's a good thing. Steve, what is the document? I, I'm I'm kind of behind on that. Sorry. It's a letter of accountability that was signed. Uh, Brad Miller put it together and and got a bunch of people to sign it. I'm sure he would have had a thousand signatures if he would have asked. If he would ask, I, I you know I told Pete I have like 30 or 40 lieutenant colonels who signed the letter because they're they're all coming out of the woodwork. Um, but the point is is that it's a good thing to see that happening. Do I think it's too little too late? No. Where it's going to show up and where it matters is not at the national level. It's going to be at the local level. And it's going to be at the tribal level to begin with because it means that now military leadership, military enlisted, I know a lot of enlisted guys have already been organizing, but suffice it to say that it's going to show up at the local level when these people start to step out front and lead. That's that's the byproduct that we want to see from this. We don't want to, we don't necessarily think, because look, the system in D.C. is so corrupt that it doesn't matter how many people come out of the woodwork now. That system has to die and fail. And then it has to be rebuilt from the ground up. And I've said it thousands of times, it's got to be built up with people that understand selfless service. You know, if if you spend as much time in the military as as the three of us have, and I know there's other military that are that are in the audience right now, I it makes their blood boil. Every one of them, it makes their blood boil, and every one of them knows they have to step up. All of them do. And do we want to? No, I want to live a quiet life, talk talk Ron to my grandchildren, and and hang out with with my kids. But here we are. It is what it is. But every one of these, every one of these military people in your in your local community, now some of them are going to be on the other side of the fence, right? Just like the Civil War. But a preponderant number of the military that are still loyal to their oath will step up. And that is that is the you know the catalyst that we're looking for. And that's that's the good byproduct out of this. So that's true. That's very true, American. That's very true. So I, I'm encouraged by that. I'm also encouraged by the fact that, you know, so many, so many people signed it. I'm encouraged that they're now starting to say accountability. Those are, those are words we haven't heard for two years. And that's, that's the other side of it. And it, this goes back to what I was saying about the cultural war. When you do influencing operations, when you do long-term influencing, that's been done against this country. The thing that most people do is give up. What you're seeing now is people dig their heels in. That is the best part of the story. People are digging their heels in going, wait a minute. We're not going to give up that easy. We're not going to roll over. You're not going to take over a country and turn it into a communist country. And oh, by the way, we're armed. 
and we're not afraid anymore because the piece that comes out of this is not just the accountability. It's the piece I've been saying for three years, lose the fear. We're all going to die anyway, so lose the fear because they can't arrest all of us. And the more people that lose the fear, the more people that band together that are fearless, guess what? Then you have a movement. Once you have a movement, then you've got some real momentum. And when the momentum picks up, which it is, hopefully this is what spurs out of this, is the momentum. So Amen. I'm, I'm waiting to see what comes from this. But you got to lose the fear. And you got to give up on this paradigm that we're going back to normal. There's no more old, you know, the old normal. There's no more of that. We are now in the fight. This is the fight. And Dave can tell you this as well as I can. And you, he could probably say it a hell of a lot better than I can. But one of the first things that my first battalion commander said to me was, when you're in the fight, it doesn't matter what's at home. It matters when you get home, if you get home. But right now, you're in the fight. Stay in the fight. No matter what happens, stay in the fight. And he was right. This is the fight, folks, right now. You know, ahead, when I was uh, when I was a kid growing up, I played baseball, loved it. And there was a guy a year ahead of me named Carlos Bono. He was an excellent ball player. And uh, Carlos Bono had an uncle. I know, Steve, you'll remember this name, General Bono. And General Bono developed what? It was called Battle Focus Training. <laughs> and that was, uh, I know I'm making you laugh, bringing back some memories here. But the purpose of battle focus training was to strip away all of the politically correct bullshit, all this stuff about, you know, like today, my God, when I came back from Iraq, it was all about re resiliency training. It's like, okay, just waste more of my time. All right. It's the, the military needs to get back to battle focus training and get serious about what they're doing. Um, if, if you do that, you'll get higher quality people. You'll get people that have greater resolve focused on what they need to be focused upon. Most of all, I think you'll get the kind of individuals that you're looking for. And uh, so we need to get back to battle focus training and uh, get rid of this, this mishmash of garbage. I do agree with the comment that um, the mind is the future battlefield. Unfortunately, it's the battlefield that DARPA and these globalists uh, are choosing. And uh, we've got to be equally effective there and and deal with that because yeah. what's that true? Oh, I, I didn't know you're done. Sorry. I was, I was going to comment on that as well when you're done. Well, I was just going to say, you know, we live in a world where you've got nanobot technology, you've got ways of, of infecting things with all of these, what, 340 biological warfare labs that the United States sponsors, and God knows how many the Chinese sponsor or the Russian sponsor. Um, there's more threats out there than literally anyone can imagine. But we're going to have to get down to brass tacks at some point, and... Uh, you know, Steve, I think part of what we have to keep in mind is that when we get on the other side of this, we need to know what right looks like. Because when you have change, 
this goes back to what you were saying, Troop, with David Axelrod. When you have change, it creates opportunities. And unfortunately, I, I see it like I'm always fearful when I hear people talking about, oh, we need to have a constitutional convention because I don't trust most of the people calling for a constitutional convention. We, we need to enforce the Constitution, maybe add one or, things, one or two things to it, not, not change it and rip it apart the way that some people want to. So we need to be careful about what the other side looks like because there's going to be a lot of bad people. There's always survivors, and they're going to want to take advantage of, this, of, of the void that forms. And uh, there needs to be people ready to step in and do the right thing. You know, the thing I found most offensive about the, the it was a Space Force Lieutenant Colonel, right? I don't give a shit if somebody's gay. I think the whole gays in the military thing, that ship sailed. What pissed me off is this. If the whole future of warfare is the battle of the mind, and we have all these handicapped people, people that can't run, jump, squat, you know, lift their arms above their head, whatever. Why the fuck aren't we putting them in the military? Because we have a whole bunch of disabled patriots that either are former military or they wanted to serve in the military, and maybe they have a hearing deficiency, maybe they can't walk, maybe whatever. It doesn't matter what whatever is, because you can literally join the army now and get a sex change, and you know you can join the army and get pregnant and get pulled out of the battle space, have a kid, and then check out. So why can't you have other people in the military? And it's always bothered me that we have we have gone through this arc where they never mention the handicapped people. I mean, how many handicapped people does it take to fly a drone, right? So why why aren't we talking about them? So it isn't the whole the whole the thing that pisses me off is the posturing of I'm the I'm the first uh, you know black transgender cross-dressing pink-haired gold-toothed person to uh, you know attain the level of lieutenant colonel in this zip code or whatever. Like they have to keep adding shit on it because they're not the first at anything anymore. They're not remarkable. They're just like everybody else, but they still have to push this divisive um, you know mantra of of exclusive specialness. How come we don't have the handicapped people? Uh, we don't have MOSs that that are open to handicapped people. And all of a sudden, you've bridged the uh, recruiting requirements. Um, you know, you've you've filled the, the you've rebuilt you've replenished the uh, the non direct frontline forces with dedicated intelligent patriots. And we're not talking about that. We're only talking about who are the stupidest, most vapid, shallow, unqualified, fucking undesirable people in the world. And how can we promote them into leadership? That's the conversation that they're having now, not not the real conversation on how to how to defend America. Yeah, they don't they don't care about that. the 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 space force thing is indicative of the, of the narrative that it's it's diversity, equity, and inclusion, which is nonsense. But to answer the question, there's there's three parts of. Um, what they're doing that you mentioned two of them, right? We're, we're promoting the worst and then the worst and the dumbest. But the other part is they're promoting and they're pushing in front of the public, the soulless, the moralless, and the, uh, the beliefless. I mean, that's literally what they're doing. All these people that they're putting in front of the camera have no belief system whatsoever. 
And you're right. You could make, I know half a dozen guys that lost limbs in Iraq that would, could be perfect drone pilots and fly predator drones. I know guys that, uh, that have, um, you know, have injuries from either bullet wounds or from IEDs that are not brain injuries that could do a host of, of activities either in or out of uniform as a contractor at the Pentagon right now and be massively more effective than all these twits that are running around talking about their sexuality. Uh, I, that, the, that we could make that argument all night. I think that the bigger question right now is, um, you know, I watched a movie over the weekend and it was, it was about, uh, it was called bringing down a dictator. It was about removing Slobodan Milosevic from Serbia um, in, in the nineties and how a grassroots movement of kids did it peacefully and removed him. And the part of the movie that, and I've referenced it several times because the CIA and the state department were consultants with this grassroots movements to keep it nonviolent. And, you know, um, guests and Chris have both talk about in the chat, they're talking about how there's a national strike. If they go after Trump, you guys need to galvanize something. They're going to do something to Trump physically because they can't win the hearts and minds of the mega crowd. They're never going to convince anybody that, that Nikki Haley is the candidate or that it's a fair and free election if she wins. There's no way they're going to convince anyone of that. And the fact that they're trying to use the 14th Amendment to, to remove him for the insurrection piece of that is never going to sell. And, and no matter what they try and push, it will never sell. So they're going to do something kinetic or they're going to try and take him off the board some other means. But trust me, it's going to be physical. And when they do, Chris is right. I, I hope it galvanizes enough people to do exactly what they did in Serbia. They brought the entire country full stop. Everything, every truck, every business, every government agency, full stop. And then they descended on the Capitol by the millions and brought that place to a standstill. You know what they were scared of on January 6th? They weren't scared of it being violent. They were scared of it being peaceful. Because if 20 million people showed up in D.C. and shut that place down, the only place those people have to go is down. And if they go live in their bunkers, they have no power. That insurrection was architected by Nancy Pelosi and a few others using the Capitol Police and the FBI in order to villainize the mega crowd, but specifically to try and break up the mega movement. Get away from the renter in the White House. He's one fucking guy. Trump was surrounded by swamp creatures. He was never going to do anything in the first four years. Just like if he ever gets into office, which he's not coming back, they will never let him be successful. The system has to fail. The entire federal government has to fail. We're past the point of putting somebody in there that's going to reform the system. That's never going to happen. I don't care how many stars you wish on. That's never going to happen. The system has to die. So if you're going to do anything, prepare for that. Stop worrying about the politics. It's white noise. 
It's like all the noise today about Green Day and about Epstein. It's all white fucking noise. Because you know what happened today? The, the queen that just advocated in what I think the Netherlands or in one of those other European countries, one of the last monarchs abdicated. You know why? Because her lawyers hadn't got here yet to file a thousand motions just to suppress her name from the list. But at the end of the day, who cares? Who gives a flying fuck right now who was on the plane? We all know who was on the plane. The manifest was released years ago. The point is, focus on the things that matter. Stop worrying about the noise and the politics. The politics are just part of the narrative. It's part of the whole distraction. Oh, my God, Trump's back in court. Oh, my God, Green Day said something against the mega move. Who gives a fuck? It's Green Day. They're 50 years old. They're like the Rolling Stones. You listen to their shit once every five years and you put it back in the fucking vinyl and forget about it because you realize that you can only listen to it once every five years to remind yourself why you don't listen to it. Stop worrying about the noise because the noise is just to distract you. It's not about anything else. The things to pay attention to right now is this letter, this accountability letter. That's, that is focus. That's signal. It's signal because you're seeing people band together. That's more important than whatever fucking Green Day said to Drunken Stupor on ABC, which I don't watch anyway. Sorry, I had to digress and go tangerial. I definitely, uh, I think there's a lot of buzz. Uh, yeah, and just to clarify, my comment on Green Day's thing is that their free speech wasn't mitigated, but some other people's free speech was. Not, I mean, they're they're fucking assholes. So, um, the list, this client list, what is it? The manifest list. Uh, zero fucks given on that because, like you said, it already came out, and if they wanted to prosecute any of these people, they already would have, as opposed to just burying it. And these, these are names that are in the court documents from the Epstein's first arrest, and Virginia Guthrie, and a few other victims named people by name of having either sex with, some kind of sexual relations, or. Uh, inappropriate, whatever you want to call it. There's there's terminology for it. I can't remember all of it off the top of my head. But the big deal is these are people that were named by name that she and others had sex with or were molested by. That's that's why this is a big deal. This is be this is them calling out like Prince Andrew and um, a few others. Tom Hanks is one of them, and Bill Clinton. That's why it's a big deal. But it's never going to see the light of day. Other documents might see the light of day. But look, this is how the game's played. This is why I don't care about it. Anytime somebody who has a lot of money or is famous gets in trouble, they have a stable of lawyers that bury the court and bury the prosecution with legal documentation that stretch it out for years so people forget about it. And they thought that this was going to go away. And Virginia Guthrie is one of the ones that has kept this in the public eye because she wants accountability. If you see any of these names, it's only going to be a few names. It's not going to be the Clintons. Why? Because the Clintons are lawyers. They're going to, they're going to throw a mountain of lawyers at this to make sure their names never show up. But everybody knows he was on the plane 30 times. We already knew that. None of this is new information. This is just confirmation. But then the question is, what are you going to do with it? And who gives a shit? 
I'm I, I don't care about any of that right now. I'm I'm preparing for the system to fail and then I'm preparing for what comes next because that's way more important than who was on the list. Because we know the FBI's got all the tapes and everything else back at FBI headquarters and they're leveraging people. So let's just wait till this is done and go roll up all the tapes and then start hunting these people down. That, that that's a better option to me. Did you guys click on that link? I just posted the original no jab, no job. And it's a picture of Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> I did not. Oh, man. I did not. You got to click on it. It's okay. So, so we're coming up on two hours. Um, let's final thoughts and any predictions that you want to put out for the year. Let's start with you, Troop. Uh, I think that the criminal environment and public space is going to deteriorate. Uh, that's going to be the primary driver for disparaging your rights, wanting to put in kind of censorship controls on people. Uh, and that's my prediction is that's happening. And the other prediction, which is unfortunate, is the incidences of vigilante crime are going to skyrocket. There's nothing wrong with protecting your neighborhood, protecting your family, and shooting people that are in the commission of a violent crime. My my only concern is that there's going to be a lot of innocent people that are going to be harmed because of a lack of vigilante discipline. Not that I have a problem with vigilantes. I have a problem with undisciplined vigilantes. So um, if you're going to go out and be a vigilante, don't, don't just, you know, profile people and, and beat them up and shoot them just because they they don't fit in your box wait until they are about to commit a crime and then and then fuck them up so that's all i got dave well i'm sorry i got distracted by uh, some things here on the domestic side for just a second but um you know as we move forward we got to keep our eyes out on the distant horizon looking for some of these things i just saw what has to be the fourth or possibly fifth oligarch, literally multi-billionaire, being interviewed in front of a an auditorium of globalists, and he it was 2019. I'm sure you probably saw it, Steve. He was talking to them about having a plan that they had already enacted for reducing the population by 50% by the year 2023. Well. I don't think we came down 20 percent, let alone fifty percent. But the fact that everybody in the auditorium was giving the guy a rousing applaud and approval is uh, it literally tells me those people are out and out psychopaths. And as strange and surrealistic as it seems when we talk about some of these subjects, because you sit there and you have to ask yourself, are we really talking about this? Could this really potentially happen and I go back to that that same thought Pearl Harbor was an impossibility before December 7th 1941 9-11 was an impossibility and even then when you find out that 9-11 was not what we expected but was an inside job you you review these things and there's cognitive disconnects but at the same time, like you said, Steve, we have to realize where we are and we've got to prepare accordingly. 
and uh, keep both feet firmly planted on the ground because we're we're headed into some potentially dire straits. And, uh, you know, I think go, circling back to one of the things we mentioned earlier, getting good tactical training. There used to be gun sight and any number of different shooting academies, things like that. Those are That's money well spent. Everybody, you know, it's like sex or driving. Everybody thinks they're great. Oh, yeah, I can shoot really well. I literally just had a woman telling me this. She's a nurse. And so I'm an excellent shot. Okay. Uh, how are your tactics? How quick should you reload? How do you present? And so, you know, investing not just in preparation with food, ammunition, weaponry, weaponry, vehicles, things like that, investing in really effective, high-quality training, I think is one of the best things people can do. Uh, you, when, when the shit starts hitting the fan, people fall back on their training. Most people are not trained, and it falls apart for them. People who are well-trained exceed and succeed. That's what I got. I don't disagree with that. I, and I would say uh, make another plug for situational awareness. Be aware of your surroundings. Be aware of who's around you. Be aware of what they're doing. And focus on that while you're looking for training. Be more cognizant. Put your phone down. Be, and we're all guilty of it. All of us spend too much time on our phones. But over the next two weeks, they're going to develop a new boogeyman. This, this story that came out of Como News in Seattle about state capitals being shut down, that's pre-narrative, that's pre-programming. Pay attention to it because it's going to be signal. And more importantly, stop worrying about the noise. Focus on things that matter. Family, preparedness, situational awareness, and muscle memory. Those things are going to get you over as things move forward. And you saw tonight in the chat, there's, there's several military people in the chat. There's several people saying, I'm more worried about my family than I am about kicking doors. And trust me, you're not going to be kicking doors when this kicks off. You're going to be, you're going to be in a group of people trying to defend what you have and meet other people that are trying to do the same thing and figure out who's on the right side. That, that to me is going to be the key to all of this is when this gets tribal. So focus on the things that matter and stop worrying about the bigger picture and the things that are out of your control. Because most of the stuff at the national level is just noise anyway. It's all, it's all smoke and mirrors. And Dave's right. What happens overseas will drive some of the actions here. But focus where it matters right now. You still got time to prepare. Start doing that. And as always, I'll be back next Monday for sure. We'll be back Wednesday with the roundtable. We should, uh, we'll probably have either Matt or Jordan Sather. Um, I have standing invitations for both of them. And uh, I'll communicate with those. I'm looking, for, I'll, I'll reach out to uh, uh, Terrence Pop to see if he's, uh, if he's available for the roundtable next week. We'll, we'll keep this moving. But lose the fear, folks. We're in the fight. Focus on the fight. And stop worrying about the noise and the, the peripherals. None of those matter right now. God bless everyone. One team, one fight. Happy New Year.